Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1474, entitled Beauty and the Bess, that's B-E-S for Blue Eye Samurai. Our podcast title is Leave the Pod Behind. I am Rob Jan. Jan Solo here today. Megan McHugh, our co-host, is on leave. Be back soon and we will welcome her back as we are plunging into the new year here on Zero G. All right. So, yeah, as you gather from the title there, Blue-Eyed Samurai, which is a Netflix series, television animated series. We're going to have a look at that today. And also, 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 also going to have a look at a movie called Leave the World Behind, which also happens to be on Netty as well. So, every now and then, you run into an animated television series which is produced outside Japan that actually manages to reach the highest levels of quality, usually the province of manga-derived or original Japanese anime. So it is with the French-American-created series Blue Eye Samurai, which I caught up with late last year and devoured over the holiday break. Only eight episodes, though. So there is signs that there will be a second season. Now, this is set in the era, the Edo period in Japan. Well, notional one at least. And uh, it's um, when the uh, Tokugawa shogunate has closed the borders with the outside world. But... There are four white men still in the country by the grace of their being useful to the shogun to provide a small but profitable covert link to foreign trade amongst other interests. And one of these men has fathered a mixed-race daughter named Mizu, who is the blue-eye samurai of the title. So she's masterless in the sense that she's not sworn loyalty to any particular lord, but not in the sense that she has no master at all, which is to say she does have one master swordsmith, Aichi, whom she finds refuge with and informally apprentices to after, as a young girl, she loses her mother and home to an attack by people seeking to kill the half-breed monster that they see Mizu as. So as Mizu learns the art and science of swordsmithing, she also learns martial arts, largely self-taught. She's a natural, in part fueled by her desire to avenge herself and her mother upon the four white men, one of whom she assumes to be her father, but whose name she does not yet know. 
Very well then. She will just have to kill them all. As I said, eight episodes in the first season and as Quentin Tarantino would no doubt say, it's a rampaging riot of revenge. And it's created by Michael Green, uh, who's also the writer, an American, US-American writer and producer. And in addition to writing for television, he's also worked on a lot of screenplays too. Uh, Logan for movies that is Logan if you remember the uh, the Wolverine movie and why would you not it's one of the best X-Men films uh, Alien Covenant we'll let that one slide Blade Runner 2049 quite credible that one and Murder on the Orient Express uh, I think also Death on the Nile too not sure of that but um, that explains the presence of Sir Kenneth Branagh in the voice cast for Blue Eye Samurai uh, he Worked at HBO in his early years, uh, first television credit, I think, Sex and the City. Uh, He also worked on one which I saw a couple of episodes for, uh, NBC series back in 2009 called Kings, which was um, uh, a biblical drama about King David, but it was set in a contemporary sort of alternate reality. He also has Smallville to his credit and big credits in the science fiction superhero series Heroes, as well as its uh, minor reboot. So, yeah, a lot of those sorts of shows that he's worked on have been genre, including American Gods, which was uh, an executive producer for, that stars series along with Brian Fuller, adapted from Neil Gaiman's novel. And, you know, he's also working on an adaptation of the video game Bioshock for Nettie as well, as being hired to write a, do another pass at least, of uh, Marvel Studios' Blade script. So he's also a comic book author and co-author with DC. So we've got Batman and Superman and the reboot of Supergirl and also did the... um, the Blade Runner 2019 comic book series too. So knows his stuff when it comes to this. Now he's working on Blue Eye Samurai with his partner, Amber Noizumi, and she's also a creator and writer and producer. And in the case of this, the producer of their daughter. And, you know, so Michael Green has... um, uh, U.S. American Israeli background, and Amber has a part Japanese background. So you've got a, a basically a, a mixed race daughter, and this is sort of the wellspring from which the Blue Eye Samurai story flows. Created by Michael Green and partner Amber Noazumi, this eight-episode animated show is first rate. Now, the voice acting cast is actually quite incredible and very, very inclusive in terms of uh, mostly Japanese-descended cast, apart from a couple of notable exceptions. Uh, Mary Erskine plays Mizu Bess, the blue-eyed saburai of the title, and she is obviously subjected to a lot of racial prejudice back in Edo period Japan, and... This is a character who is often able to pass as a man because she binds her chest and makes out as if she is male. And this gives her some agency to travel around to try and 
exact her revenge because, you know, she couldn't get around without um, uh, papers and permits and probably a chaperone, etc. in this period as a woman. And, well, she does have a fairly good line in being able to bribe people as well, so <laughs> that can happen too. Uh, we've seen... Maya Erskine, not that we actually see her in this as such, she's a voice actress uh, in Hulu's comedy series PEN15 and also did voices for Robot Chicken and Bojack Horseman and was the animated voice for DC supervillain Mercy Graves. But she appeared on screen in the flesh in the 2022 Obi-Wan Kenobi series playing Sully Stark. Just a, a supporting character who flies for the, uh, the fledgling Rebel Alliance. Um, she was uh, helping rescue Jedi and other Force sensitives from the Empire. Uh, in this story, she, uh, she is absolutely spot on. Great voice for the character. Channeling Clint Eastwood is obviously the character does a lot. I mean, you look at the costume designs and the uh, the the dry, laconic delivery and the fierce sense of <laughs> urgency that she brings to the character, a fixation upon the revenge that she's seeking. Um She's already thought of as a demon or a monster, the character, not the actress, that is. So it's a fairly easy step for her to masquerade as a woman. Um, the character somehow manages to voice this one. Uh, the, the actress manages to voice the character, investing in it so much in so little with the dialogue. She's a very taciturn character. Well, you know, Clint Eastwood is where we were going there. She seems to be seeking connection with the other characters, even though she doesn't perhaps know it or even want it or value it. But nevertheless, a great character. Just watching this as an animation, you're just thinking, this could easily have been a live-action series, but I don't know if they could have done it as well in live-action as they do in animation. Moving on to her sidekick, Ringo, played by Masi Oka. Now, Ringo is an optimistic, handless male cook, a chef of noodles, that is, who idolises Mizu. Despite Mizu initially not wanting a companion, she sort of gets to, you know, tolerate him along the way. And he's actually very useful, uh, surprisingly helpful at times. Now, we know Masai Oka for playing the character Hiro Nakamura in the Hero series. Also, a pretty dab hand with a samurai sword with a katana in that too. Now, Masai did lots of movies where he was playing sort of martial arts type things, strangely enough. But he was also very well known for working at Industrial Light and Magic on visual effects for a variety of movies. Uh, as well as playing the uh, the lead character, Jack, in Immortals of Aviam, the video game. He's also got a, a black belt in Kendo, which is, no doubt comes in handy for the uh, the sword work in Heroes. You know what? There's actually an action figure of that actor too. Credit to him. Um, he's of great practical use in this show. As I said, he's a, a noodle cook who wants to be greater, even if it's only just the, the greatest noodle cook. But he also wants to be a samurai, sort of riffing off of uh, Mizu's 
mentorship or not, as the case may be. He is of great practical use and he's always eager to please, but with a, a somewhat better calibrated moral compass than Mizu. His non-stop chatter provides comic relief. Hmm, there's something I can connect with. But uh, he also provides useful exposition that Mizu often doesn't have time for or bother with. Now, there's a, another samurai called Taigen, uh, called, played by Darren Barnett. He's, um, you know, his uh, origins are quite humble, paralleling Mizu. In fact, he knew her as a child uh, and was one of the people who used to tease her and bully her, which is not to his credit, but he has grown a bit. The actor, Darren Barnett, is spot on for this. He gives just the right touch of grudging respect for Mizu's undeniable prowess. Um, he's got an interesting character journey too. He has a relationship with a princess in the story and that has to evolve because Blue Eye Samurai is very much a story about female agency and seeking it in a time where it is not common, at least not unless it's in tandem with a powerful male relative or husband or patron. Well, uh Barnett is a US American actor. He was in the Netflix series Never Have I Ever. And I did see him as playing a, a character called Malik in the seventh season of the Marvel television series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's also been, ironically, uh, <laughs> a voice role of the character Yuchi. Uh, Yuichi uh, Usagi in Netflix's adaptation of Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles. Usagi Yojimbo. So, yeah. But I also heard him in Skull Island. Do you remember that one I was raving about, the uh, the uh, Monarch Legacy animated series, where he had a voice role in that too? Moving along to the princess that I just mentioned, Princess Akemi. She's voiced by Brenda Song. And... Okay, she's uh, playing a daughter of a rich lord and she really likes her father but at the same time does not like his control over her and she's after becoming a bit more independent or a lot more if she can manage it. And yeah, she really dislikes being put about as a suitable mate for the latest politically convenient character that her father wants to ally with. We've heard Brenda Song before in the animated science fiction series Amphibia and I think that was on the Disney Channel and because she had a contract with Disney she was also the eponymous character in Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior so another martial arts connection there. Well, she's great in her own right in the story. doesn't quite believe that to start with, but um, she wants to become a power in her own right, not just because of who her father wants to align her with. Uh, the point is made several times in the story, and we see it as well as told it, that she is a, a quick learner. And she is very quick with her wits and on her feet in the story as she undertakes a journey that's way outside the normal realms of activity that a princess in this time could be expected to undertake. And that's also encouraged by and mentored by George Takai playing Seki, uh, the male tutor 
who looks after Princess Akemi. Now, he is a obviously a first-rate voice actor um, and he's exactly the right person to choose for this role and has a an interesting relationship with Akemi, almost like that of a father himself, and I thought that was quite... Um, are quite uh, important to the story. All right, so Randall Park plays one of the villains, uh, Heiji Shindo, and he's working for one of the white men that he goes after to exact her revenge, working for a guy called uh, Fowler. And he's actually a really good, trusted lieutenant, entirely vile in his pandering to Fowler and a character who reminds me of someone from Kill Bill for reasons which will become obvious in the story. Now, Randall Park has had quite a bit of a Marvel connection, Agent Jimmy Wu in the MCU. Uh, We saw him in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Quantum Mania and WandaVision as well. So, been around a bit there. He was also in... um, uh, the DCU extended universe films Aquaman and Lost Kingdom as well, playing Dr. Stephen Shin. So he's actually so vile that you just think, yeah, I can't wait for you to um, have something happen to you, which it does. <laughs> A little spoiler there. Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa voices the character of Master Eiji, the blind swordsmith who raises Mizu. Now, there's a trope, if ever there was one, Sades of uh, Zotoichi. Uh, now, um, he probably provided Zotoichi with his sword cane. Now, he um, has a complicated relationship with uh, Mizu. Well, maybe not that complicated. He is the typical sensei who beats you about the head if you don't do the right thing. Uh, but he is actually really fond of Mizu in his own way. Kari uh, Hiroki. Tagawa, I have seen many, many times. Uh, first time without knowing it where he played a swordsman in Big Trouble in Little China. I don't even think he got a credit for that one, but he was there. Uh, again, in Star Trek, the motion, sorry, Star Trek, the Next Generation's pilot episode. Oh, what was that called? Encounter at Farpoint. He's one of, he's the Mandarin bailiff that Q whistles up. But the first time I actually really t- took note of him was the, as an alien fighter in the short lived, but quite interesting television show Space Rangers. Do you remember that one? Well, he was the guy, the alien who had the, uh, uh, well, it was all for- make-up foreheads back in those days, prosthetic foreheads. Uh, is quite lethal as a hand-to-hand combat fight. Uh, he was also in Heroes, where he played uh, the swordsmith for a couple of episodes. He's, he's often cast as villains. Um, um, he was in The Last Emperor, Licence to Kill, The Phantom, uh, Planet of the Apes, Memoirs of a Geisha, 47 Ronin, Man in the High Castle, and also the um, Lost in Space series, the, 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 uh, the remake of it. Uh, also, he's in the uh, Mortal Kombat franchise, uh, first in uh, 1995, and then in the television series Legacy in 2019, and in the video game as well, uh, playing the character of the evil sorcerer Shang Tsung. Uh, another great performance from Tagawa. They're playing as a voice. So, you know, I thought that was uh, great that he actually managed to maintain that throughout the show. Kenneth Branagh. Sir Kenneth Branagh is um, Abijah Fowler. 
Now, he's the Irish smuggler who's being pursued by Mizu as one of the potential fathers that she's trying to kill. My God, after, uh, was it Tennant? Um, you really think that they should have got Sir Ken to play Baron Harkonnen in June. In this, he's venal, debauched, opportunistic. Uh, he's got a backstory not unlike Hannibal Lecter's. And he plays this as a, a character who's fairly bored with it all, but is still, still scheming some absolutely, truly massive plans to take over Japan itself. A memorable villain. So Kenneth Branagh playing Fowler in this. Fowler by name and Fowler by nature. Well worth watching for that alone. We've got some uh, other recurring characters in this. Stephanie Sue plays a prostitute in this, US-American actress. Um, we knew her playing the role of Joy Wang and Jobu Tupaki in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And also Ming-Na Wen is in there. Yes, Ming-Na Wen playing Madame Kaji, a madam of a brothel, uh, the one where uh, Stephanie Sue's, Sue's character is at. Uh, we know, of course, as Agent May um, in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the cavalry, as she was known there, and um, Fennec Shrand in uh, The Mandalorian, too. Two great roles, as well as her iconic role voicing the character of Mulan in the animated film and reprising the role in the video game as a voice actress and also uh, having a cameo in the live-action remake in 2020. So she also is um, Detective Ellen Yin in The Batman and has appeared in the Stargate Universe series as well. So she's actually one of my favourite characters in Blue Eye Samurai in this case, uh, playing Madame Kaji. Complicated storyline. And this is as good a place as any to give you a warning about Bess. Uh, it has all the warnings at the start. Uh, sex, violence, drugs, rock and roll, whole damn thing, and tuned to the max in lots of cases. So, you know, I'm not a parent, so I can't give you an insight into whether or not you should let your kids watch it. I wish I had kids so I could ban them from watching it. Or would I? I don't know. Not my wheelhouse there, but I give you that warning up front in case you miss it at the start. So it's not for the kids. I don't think, anyway. And I'll just wrap up here, but there's a few more things to say about this show. The animation and backgrounds are absolutely breathtaking. Uh, part of it's done in that um, 2D, 3D style, so they're using computers to work it all together, but it does still read as two-dimensional animation. Uh, absolutely stunning to look at. The costuming in this. This is a trend I've been quite pleased with lately in animation uh, for big screen and the small screen small screen in this case um, the kimono in it and the armour oh, absolutely fabulously done intricately realised and it moves so well in the animation too production designer Brian Kessinger Jason Scheller Toby Wilson uh, artist Abigail Larson they all deserve high credit for the look of Blue Eye Samurai. And the supervising director, Jane Wu, has a background in fashion illustration too, and that shows in the choices that are made here. Wu worked on uh, some of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies and uh, in the Marvel art de 
department for the MCU movies. And they actually do have a costumer assigned to this as well, uh, Sutara Anne Lalab, who worked on Slumdog Millionaire, No Time to Die, 127 Hours, Gemini Man and Obi-Wan Kenobi to use the name of an item of Japanese fashion, the obi. Uh, Also American Gods, so you can see how uh, her career sort of dovetails in with the creator, uh, Michael Green. The martial arts in this are top-notch. Really, honestly, I'm watching this saying, oh, this is great. Okay, theatrical choreography, of course, but it's Kill Bill-level action and beyond. And it really looks like it hurts, too. Uh, you know, uh, Mizu is no, by no means invulnerable to harm. She takes as many really serious and painful, winceable hits and wounds in this story. So you're actually sitting there going, oh, my God. When she limps along, you actually do that too when you're watching it. The, the martial arts choreography is, is uh, created by Suni Sun, uh, who worked on Logan and the live-action Mulan and also Extraction 2, the Chris Hemsworth sequel, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in 2014, the Aquaman movie, John Wick Chapter 2, Ant-Man, the first one, and uh, Power Rangers as well. So, yeah, lots of, you know how I am about um, an action movie. It is as important to the characters and the plot as dance and song are to a musical. You know, it is it informs the characters. It leads the plot along through the actions of the characters. It's incredibly important, whether it be a, a superhero movie or um, a Chanabara movie like this one, a sword movie. So, yeah, absolutely awesome stuff here and brilliantly realised in the animation. And I've seen a, a trailer of uh, Sunny Sun... <laughs> Um, setting out choreography and he's dressed himself up in um, a blue eye samurai outfit with uh, the uh, the tinted glasses that uh, Mizu wears to disguise her distinctive blue eyes and he's also wearing a cardboard replica of her hat I just thought, now that is dedication or actually a, a bit of cheek for the documentary alright, so there are many nods of the hat in Blue Eye Samurai, to Kill Bill, Zatuichi, Lone Wolf and Cub and so on, Um, uh, particularly to a 1987 animated piece called Genji Monogatari. Um, And you can see that they've studied that in great detail and depth to try and get the look of uh, period clothing moving in animation. Samurai Jack, obviously, is another inspiration. Uh, Yojimbo, Rashomon, other Kurosawa films. And, of course, the, on the Eastwood side, Man With No Name and My Name Is Nobody. And, you know, some of the costume sketches are taken straight from that, but uh, uh, given a, a Japanese sort of um, push. And that's one of the things about this film, It is uh, this uh, series, uh, because it's... Um, its uh, its reason for being basically uh, is to explore what it would be to be uh, half Japanese and half white in that particular historical period in Japan. Um, they've actually pushed whenever they can uh, the Western elements of Mizu's dress or of other characters. So they're trying to give you this sort of fusion. 
Uh, it's a very inclusive story too, um, and I, I felt it is a, a story that, uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's heavily he- feminist in its themes, and justly so, uh, and deals with a lot of uh, moments of agency achieved by female characters, and you just think, yeah, this is a good movie, to, a good television show to watch. As I said, it's got a lot of uh, sex, violence, and rock and roll in it, mixtures of all of those things too, uh, and a chunk of the story takes place in a brothel, so be warned, this is quite an adult show. It's the sort of thing that um, even Adult Swim would uh, perhaps pale at in places. And yet, actually, thinking of those sort of more adult shows like Samurai Jack or uh, Aeon Flux, it's in that ballpark. Definitely going to become a cult classic, Blue Eye Samurai. And I can see people cosplaying it online already. They're already laying their cutting plans to kit up in the gear. So I am knocked out of the park by this animated series one of the the well if to, for me it was a late arrival in 2023 but instantly went to the top of my faves list for that year all right so i would thoroughly recommend blue eye samurai and rolling on to leave the world behind another netflix movie or at first was a television series though so this is um how do we describe this? Apocalyptic thriller directed by, written and directed by Sam Esmail, based on a 2020 novel by Ruman Alam. Uh, got a pretty good cast, a small cast, but nevertheless a quite uh, stellar, at least in its upper reaches. The young folks, well, forgive me, but they will in due course, perhaps come into their own as actors of their own stardom. You never know. Okay, so where do we start with this? Well, you know, we can actually do this via the cast. Uh, This is, well, actually, it's, um, as I said, uh, created by Sam Esmail. The title refers to Leave the World Behind, which is what it said on the... uh, the rental list for the property that's out in the Hamptons in the US, not far from New York, as a reasonably well-off white middle-class New York family. They're the Sanfords, and they decided to go on a little mini vacation. So they're basically renting somebody's home for, I think, about a week or so, and off they trot shedding all of their cares. Julia Roberts plays Amanda Sanford, um, a marketing executive. She's hyper-cynical, paranoid, a New Yorker, basically, fiercely protective of her family too. Um, Ethan Hawke plays Clay Sanford, a teacher. I think he's a professor at a community college, something like that. He's a bit befuddled. He's overwhelmed by the situation that he finds himself in, not necessarily a man of action in the story. Definitely plays a second banana to the Julia Roberts character in this. Farrah McKenzie plays Rose Sanford, their young daughter. Uh, she's got a passion for a certain sitcom whose finale she's not able to stream when the internet goes down. Um, she s- gets to see that her parents don't have a clue when it comes to this. I won't bother to go into Julia or Ethan's back catalogue of wonderful performances, but... Um, 
Uh, Farrah McKenzie was in the uh, science fiction series Utopia, not the Australian uh, comedy series. Charlie Evans plays Archie Sanford, their young teenage son. Um, well, he's a typical adolescent in this, and he has to... He knows his parents are clueless, basically, but um, he is a bit too in this. And he soon falls ill during the course of the events that unfold during the story. Um, he knows that everything isn't going to be okay. Now, the wonderful Mahashala Ali plays G.H. Scott, the owner of the, the uh, house that they actually rent. And it's a pretty damn swish house, too, I've got to say. Now, he has got a clue or more than one clue. We've seen him before in uh, Green Detective, uh, sorry, in True Detective and Green Book. And his character parallels Clay Sanford in a way. He's kind of the peacemaker, or is he? We know him, of course, as the voice for Uncle Aaron in the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse movie. Uh, he was the, uh, the off-screen voice of Blade at the end of the Eternals, played Cottonmouth, one of the villains in the Luke Cage series, uh, the Hunger Games, the Predators movie, a host of others. Uh, Well-known actor on the scene here. Does a great job as the Scott character. A great Scott, as it were. Now, he comes with his daughter as well, Ruth Scott, played by Myhala, and uh, she's bubbling over with distrust too. She's trying to keep it together because her mum's not there and they suspect that something awful has happened to her. See, she's justifiably ropeable about the way Amanda Sanford treats them in what is, after all, their own home. Or is it? <laughs> well, you'll have to watch the movie to see. We've seen uh, Mahala in uh, Modern Love, um, a show called Industry, and at least one episode of Black Mirror. She was also in uh, is it a movie called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I think Megan um, reviewed that earlier on, late last year. Also in the cast is Kevin Bacon, who plays uh, Danny, a survivalist who's also a, a local handyman contractor. So there you go. He's ubiquitous. Even in an apocalypse, you'd have several degrees of separation to get to him. Uh, Vanessa Aspilaga plays um, a local worker called Salvadora, but um, fairly brief appearance, but important in the plot. So what's the f- story of leave the world behind well as i said it's an apocalyptic movie a bit of a thriller and you've seen these sorts of movies all over the place set in all kinds of places where people are off on holiday when suddenly it all goes down and they have to survive where they can how they can in place or perhaps moving around a little as the case may be um it reminds me a little bit of M. Night uh, Shyamalan's The Happening, only with much better dialogue. Uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out comes to mind as well, too, because of some of the uh, social commentary involved in it. But it's actually a really quite slick, as well as being surreal at the same time, movie. So it uh, could almost be... Well, I'm thinking of a few other post-apocalyptic movies, but I don't want to go into too many lists there because in this case it might give things away a bit too much. So we'll just roll back my thought there. I do know that um, Barack and Michelle Obama 
executive produced this with their higher ground productions banner. And I can see why, because it's got some social commentary that's entirely relevant to the United States of America in general. Now, with these sorts of movies, there are lots of clues thrown out as to what's going down along the way. And the characters, um, we learn things at the same time as some of the characters do as we go along. And even after we've seen something quite drastic like events that happen on and around the beach near the house, well, we're not really sure what's going on apart from the fact that it's involving quite a bit of mayhem and, uh, and the death of many people as far as we can work out. So does it all make sense in the end? Well, Yes, it does. I thought that given the information and the clues that we're given along the way, it does make sense. Uh, There's a few things that I felt were maybe a bit of a reach at the end of the day, but nevertheless, I thought it was quite um, effective. I think it probably plays differently outside the United States than it would would inside the US at the moment with their highly polarised political scene there. You know, you could imagine watching this and if you were on one side or t'other you might take this as an insult or a critique or whatever so you know pretty much like uh, don't look up you remember that one with the um, the comet or asteroid strike that kind of uh, implication there I did think this was a very good film I thought Roberts in particular and Hawke were, were great in it and Mashala as well Um, coming in as the sort of wild card into the story. It's got a a soundtrack composed by Matt Quayle, um, an original score for this, which has got um, uh, a lot in it that's based around nine particular notes inspired by French composer Olivier Messiaen and his Messiaen modes, particularly mode free, apparently. So there's a lot in, in the soundtrack that comes out of those nine notes, which reminds me a little bit of um, the soundtrack for uh, Inception, really, with its um, motif focusing upon uh, PF and some of her vocals. But anyway, this is um, from the Netflix film Leave the World Behind. Again, Another one which came up fairly late in the year and impressed me quite a bit when I watched it. We were talking about um, one on Disney+, Plus. I get that right, last week called uh, No One Will Save You, which I also thought was excellent. A lot of good stuff coming up in the, uh, the latter half of the year. All right, so out we go. And next week, Megan McHugh will be back on Zero G. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.